Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Man, one of the things I love about our church is it's Diversity. I want you to look around here. Amen. We have 27 different nations represented in our church. It looks like 31 flavors on a Sunday morning here. And what I, what I always say, if our church doesn't look like Walmart, it's not the church. It's a club, right? Because everybody looks like you, talks like you, acts like you. We're a club. But here's what I want you to know. There's not only ethnic diversity. There's a lot of diversity in church upbringings. We have people with Baptist backgrounds, Methodist backgrounds, Catholic backgrounds charismatic backgrounds, and we have many people with no church backgrounds at all. And I heard this joke that shows the differences in denominations and growing up in all kinds of different uh, scenarios, and it's about light bulbs. So here, let me, let me tell you this joke. How many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? None. They use candles. Okay. How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Only one. Their hands are already in the air, right? How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? At least 15. One to change the light bulb and three committees of five to approve the change. I love that one. How many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? Ten. One to change the light bulb and nine to bind the spirit of darkness. I love. How about this one? How many atheists does it take to change a light bulb? None. You're right. They don't believe in light bulbs. So much confusion to change a light bulb. And this morning, I would submit to you, there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit in the church today. That's the reason we're doing this series on the Holy Spirit. The goal of this series is to give you a biblical view on such a misunderstood topic. So this morning, that's what I want you to do. I want you to throw out your preconceived ideas of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to let God's Word speak to you because the Bible is our guidebook. It's our guy. And this morning, I want you to introduce you to a term. You probably heard about it, but you're going to hear about it and think about it differently. It's called, it's the term baptism. Do you know the word baptism is used with the Holy Spirit? And the word baptism, it doesn't mean to be dunked in water. The Greek word for baptism is the word baptizo. It means to be immersed in. It comes from the Greeks. It means a signify of the dyeing of a garment. For, take a garment that was one color and change it to another color. It means a permanent change. And, and I don't know, if, if you've looked through the scriptures, you're going to find out that there's a journey that the Lord has for you. There's three baptisms available in the spiritual journey. Here's the first one. The first baptism is a baptism into the body of Christ. This is the salvation experience. This is when you put your faith in Christ. And let me show you through scripture. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we are all baptized, immersed by one spirit into one body. The term body in the Bible is used to describe the church. So being a Christian is not about going to church once or twice a month. Christianity is being immersed into a relationship with Jesus, but not only Jesus, but immersed into a relationship with his body, the church. That's why you cannot know Jesus without being connected into the church. It's all throughout the New Testament. So when you get saved, you get called to follow Jesus and you're called to connect to other believers. And this happens when you believe the gospel and you put your faith in Jesus. This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.13. When you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation and you believed in him, Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, the moment you hear the gospel, the moment you believe it and you accept Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit is in you and he seals you and you become a Christian. That's the first baptism. Here's the second baptism. It's called water baptism. Water baptism is a separate experience from the salvation experience. And let me be clear because there's a lot of confusion with this. Water baptism doesn't save you. Salvation is a gift that cannot be earned. It was earned for you by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But water baptism is an important part of your walk with God. It's mentioned 27 times in the New Testament. And when people got saved in the New Testament, they immediately were baptized. They didn't wait for a while. The moment they got saved, they were baptized. This is what Acts 2.41 says this. Those who accepted his message were baptized. They were immersed. Accepting the message of Jesus is a private, deci- is a private decision that needs to go public at some point. It's the same reason why I wear a wedding band. It's so all the ladies can know that this is taken and they can't have this. But this band doesn't make me married. This band is just a public declaration of a private decision. That's the same thing with baptism. Freedom Church, we offer opportunities for you to be baptized. Here's a great thing. This summer, we are once again renting out Typhoon, Texas, and we are going to have a baptism celebration party. So if you have not been baptized, go on the all-access pass, sign up, and we want you to we want to celebrate what God has done in your life. It's an important thing for you to do. But there's also a third baptism. You can read about it in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Let's go there this morning. Jesus talking to the disciples, he's about to ascend to heaven. He says this, don't leave Jerusalem. But he says, wait for the gift my father promised. And he says this, for John baptized with water. He's making the distinction of the baptism. But in a few days, you will be baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And one thing, if you read the Bible, you, it tells you the disciples already received the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 22, Jesus is risen from the dead. He appears to the, to the disciples. And watch, go back and read John 20, 22. He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. But they hadn't been immersed with the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus is saying this. There's a greater experience in the Holy Spirit. And you will read this throughout the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts. I could show you many places where we see these three baptisms. But for the sake of time, I want you to go back home and study. Just don't take what I'm saying. Here's an example. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to show you these three baptisms working together. John 8 verse 5. It says this. I mean, Acts 8 verse 5 says, Philip went down to preach to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed Christ there. Gospel is being proclaimed. Verse 12 says this. When they heard the message, they believed. That's the first baptism. They believed in it. Philip proclaimed the good news in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ. And what happens? They were water baptized. I want you to see, there's a second baptism. Both men and women. They hear the gospel, they're baptized. Then verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, people are getting saved, people are coming to Jesus, they sent Peter and John to them. And look what it goes on to say. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon us. Watch this. Watch this. So important. They had simply been baptized. They had already been baptized. They had put faith in Jesus. They had been immersed into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see that salvation 
And receiving Jesus is different than this second work what God does called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's throughout Scripture. We see it clearly. And there's your spiritual journey. And my prayer for you is I want you to experience everything God has for you. I want you to walk in the fullness of God. And this morning, I want to show you what this baptism does in your life. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this. Jesus tells us the purpose behind the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here it comes. Verse 8. But you will receive power. I want you to underline that word. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. But it's not going to stay in Jerusalem. In all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. The word power is what I want to draw your attention to. It's translated from the Greek word dunamis. It means explosive power. It's where the word dynamite is derived from. So God says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there is going to be the power of God that's going to, it's going to abide in you. And here's what we learn. The Holy Spirit gives us power for what? To be a witness. The Holy Spirit gives us power to share Jesus boldly. That's what he does. How many of you guys know sometimes we have bold intentions but timid actions? And that's exactly what Peter said. Peter, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'll live to the death. Man, no matter what happens, God, I'm going to give my life for you. And push came to shove. What happened? He denied Jesus to a little girl. Bold intentions, timid actions. But if you come out and you read the book of Acts, the Bible says they waited in this same Peter who denied Jesus, what all of a sudden was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he preached to 3,000, and they got saved. The Bible says he died a martyr's death. Not only him, but every one of the disciples. What happened? That the disciples left Jesus high and dry when they needed him most, to every one of them preached on the streets the message of Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowered them to do what they could not do on their own. After they were filled with the Holy Spirit, you read it, instead of gathering in the temple in the synagogues, what happened? They went to the streets. And the gospel went to the world. This was before, seriously, this was before Google. This was before the internet. This was before planes, trains, and automobiles. But something happened in them that boldly empowered them that they had to take this message that they were all afraid of, that they all died for that message. They had a boldness. And I can relate to them. How many of you guys have had bold intentions but timid actions when it comes to following Jesus? I, I remember when I was a young Christian and I found myself on Sunday morning praising God and then cussing on Monday morning. Amen. I remember I really didn't want to walk with Jesus. I really wanted to share the gospel with my friends. I would really get excited about church. But all of a sudden, the fear of what others thought about me and the temptations around me began to overpower my desire for Jesus. But I remember one time I heard about this same message preached about a spirit baptism. I went up there and I said, Holy Spirit, would you baptize me? Would you immerse me? I'm tired of being a weenie Christian. I need some umph in my life. So I remember I went back my sophomore year and it was something came over me. I had this boldness. I started sharing my faith in Jesus with my friends. My actions were different. My vocabulary was different. I remember preaching my first sermon in the back of a school bus and eight people got saved and I haven't stopped preaching since because there is a power that is available to you that gives you boldness in your actions. How many of you guys ever heard of Billy Graham? He passed away a couple years ago and he preached to more people than anyone who has ever lived. 
And there's a book called The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham. There's a section where it talks about Billy Graham's early years of traveling and preaching. And I want you to read, I want to read to you a couple of excerpts from the book. It's more excerpts than I typically read, but this is so powerful in explaining this. This is what it says. Speaking of Billy, yet as he focused and energy and energetically began preaching and receiving even more invitations to speak, he sensed increasingly that his eloquence could not persuade or transform. His deep humility was anchored in fact. He knew that he was not an outstanding speaker and that his personal charisma was not enough to fulfill the great calling which he felt upon him. He had entered a life of helplessness, helpless to do this work that was far larger than his capacities. Have you ever felt that? As he traveled, he met a young Welsh preacher named Stephen Alford, who taught about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Stephen prayed with Billy for a couple weeks. Alford later said of Billy, they would pray about this baptism speech. But Alford, this is his commentary of Billy early on. He says he's very ordinary. He doesn't have much of an impact in his speaking. He has poor homiletics and, and not very clear theology. This is what Alford's commentary on Billy Graham. But as Alford encouraged Billy to pray for the baptism of the Spirit, this is what was said in the book. I can still remember Billy pouring out his heart in prayer of total dedication to the Lord, said Alford. Finally, he said, my heart is so flooded with the Holy Spirit. So he went from praying to praising. He was laughing and he was excited. He was walking back and forth across the room crying out, I have it. I'm filled. This is the turning point of my life. And he was a new man. And in his book, Alford wrote, that night, Billy went to preach again. And for reasons, I like what he says, known to God alone. As Billy rose to spoke, he, speak, he was absolutely anointed. What was a half full building was completely full. Everybody came to the front. They were convicted with power. Billy had a new authority and a new strength. He was blown away. He says, this could not be the same man. All for comments, and he writes going home that he was driving home thinking, what happened to Billy? Told his dad, something has happened to Billy. I don't know what it was. And then he wrote this world is going to hear from this man. You want that boldness in your life? Do you want that power in your life? I, I, I'm crazy enough to believe it's available to you. The Holy Spirit is the gap between your capabilities and your calling. And if you don't sense and if you don't desire a need for God, I'm going to tell you, you probably are not feeling the calling of God in your life because God's going to call you to do something that you can never do on your own. Because if you could do it on your own, you would take credit. But when God calls you to do something, it's going to be only God that does it. And that's why this power is going to come over you. You can't change hearts, but God can. You can't heal cancer, but God can. You can't foster a love for your kids in a godless culture, but God can. Man, we couldn't afford a building. We couldn't get a property in the midst of everything. But guess what? God did. Billy Graham once said 90% of what happens in today's church activities can be done without the Holy Spirit. Wow. My prayer is God. Give us only God moments where we sit back. Only God. Only Holy Spirit. I also want to point out to you that the Holy Spirit pushes you in two directions at the same time. You see this throughout Scripture. He pushes you to the world to share Jesus boldly, and he pulls you to Jesus to know him deeply. Here's the second thing the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit allows you to connect with God deeply. Spirit-filled people have a deep, connecting with, deep connection with God. In the book of Acts, 
when the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want you to see what happened. Look what Acts 2, 4 says. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 11 says, everyone was amazed and perplexed that they were declaring the wonders of God in their own language. That word tongues means glossolalia. And that means language. It means gloss where we get the word glossary. When people saw the disciples speaking in tongues, they thought, are they drunk? Are they out of their mind? But in verse 15, Peter gets up and says, these men are not drunk, but they're filled with the Spirit. And some of you guys are here this morning, oh, no, tell me, you're one of those tongue-talking churches. Now, we're not one of those weird ones, but we do believe in this evidence right here because people can, people are crazy, and they take a God-given gift, and they take it out of context. But I want to tell you about this gift for you that connects you to God in an incredible way. Because today, let me tell you, this gift is still very confusing to people. When it comes to speaking in tongues, Christians sometimes take two opposite views. One side of the pendulum, some Christians say, oh, because I don't understand it, it's weird, it's emotionalism, I don't want anything to do with it, get away, it's weird. Other Christians say, anybody who doesn't speak in tongues, they're a second-class Christian, they haven't experienced the fullness of God. Both views are in error. The Bible teaches us that God has given us a prayer language. And I want you to break it down through other scriptures what it means. This is a language. And Paul, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and 4, I want you to go back and read it, that when anyone speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to people, but he speaks to God. He utters mysteries in the spirit. Look at verse 4. It says, anyone who speaks in a tongue, this is what he says, he edifies himself. He builds himself. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, says the same thing in Jude 20. Building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches in many places that there's this private prayer language that begins to connect you with God in a way that you can never know him before. And it's also sometimes it's a sign that God is working in your midst. Let me give you an example of this. A couple, in, last October, I was in a church planning conference and I was training other church planters and several speakers and several pastors were there and we were out there just praying and we, a lot of us believe in praying in the spirit and I was praying in the spirit and afterwards one of the men came up to me and says Benito I didn't know that you knew Hebrew like I, I don't know Hebrew he says no 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 you were praying and worshiping God in Hebrew like perfect Hebrew like where'd you learn it I didn't I was praying in my prayer language and that shows us in moments that God's at work. That's what it does. One of the things it shows that God's at work in the midst. But the other thing it does, he begins to pray and intercede through us, this prayer language. Man, uh, sometimes God places people on my heart, and I don't really know how to pray for them. Sometimes he's placed you in my heart. And in the middle of the night, I, I just began to pray in my prayer language because I don't even know how to pray. Like The first time I ever experienced this, it was my senior year of high school. I remember my friend Larry just came. The Lord woke me up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and my friend my friend Larry just was on my mind. I didn't know why I, was, I had to pray for him. So I just got up and I just started praying in my prayer language for 15 minutes. Then I went back to bed. I went back to school that next Monday morning. People said, Have you, did you hear? Larry got in a horrible accident in the middle of, in the early morning. Thank God he made it, but it was crazy. And the Holy Spirit woke me up to pray for him in that moment. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He works, wants to supernaturally work through you. Romans 8 27 says the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us he connects us to God in ways we can't do on our own and I want you to hear that from our church a lady in our church named Caroline who didn't even know about this Holy Spirit and then she began to understand how she could connect through God through this prayer language watch the screens so I'd been praying every day urgently 
to God for restoration in my marriage for 11 years. It kind of came to a point where it, it didn't happen. After that point, I just didn't know what to pray anymore. I was just feeling very, very weak emotionally. I was exhausted. I just couldn't even cry. So I didn't know what to pray. I couldn't cry. And I would just pray to God. I don't know what to do. God help, basically. God help. And my friends told me, well, pray the Psalms. So I did that and that did help. And after praying for a couple months, I was in a Bible study. And one of the women in the Bible study talked about how she had a prayer language. And at that point, I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me, do you want that? And I just answered silently, well, if that brings me closer to God, then, then yes. But really, I just don't know much about this. Like, I don't know much about this at all, but that's just kind of what I answered immediately. And after that, I was praying for healing, just for the disappointment that I had. At that point, I, I did begin to speak just differently. It wasn't, it wasn't English. And I felt compelled to bow down and just pray. I had difficulty putting to words what was going on, but it was like a floodgate was open. I finally had words um, to express to God, like all this disappointment. It's difficult for me to put that to words in English, but in the prayer language, I can. I can cry out to God and I, I believe that that's the way he's healing me. So as these distressing things come to my mind, I'm able to cry out to God in this way. And then he's able to help me heal. It's awesome. See, the Holy Spirit gives us power to share Jesus boldly. And he allows us to connect with God deeply because he wants to put the attention on Jesus all around your life. And the third thing I want to point out the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live like Jesus daily. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, like a blowing violent wind, came from heaven and he filled the house. It's no accident. It's no accident that God chose the Holy Spirit to come upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because all the Jewish feasts were actually fulfilled through the gospel. So let me just, the Passover. The Passover was a feast that was pointing towards Jesus. Because Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb. That his blood would cover our sin. Just like the Passover lamb would stop the death angel from killing the firstborn. And then what they would go to, they would go through the river, the sea and the Lord would open up the Red Sea before them and they'd walk into a brand new life that's and they said as they would come up they're leaving the old way of life and they're walking into the brand new way of life talking about Jesus did for us and the same thing with Pentecost Pentecost signified the coming of the law and the beginning of the harvest and gathering the harvest when Moses came down from Mount Sinai he brought the law of God and what happened when he brought down the law of God it brought death and judgment according to Exodus 33, 28, 3,000 men died when Jesus brought the law because they were, when Moses brought the law because they were breaking the law. But when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and he filled the believers in one place, the Bible says that 3,000 people went from death to life and came into new life, faith in Jesus Christ. 
It signified the new covenant was coming. That in Jeremiah 33, God said that he would write his law no longer on tablets, but on their hearts and their minds. See, Moses through the law brought death, but Christ through the Holy Spirit brings life. And he empowers us to live like Jesus and walk the fruits of the Spirit, like Pastor Jason said, to live the life we cannot live. And God does this through the Holy Spirit. He empowers people to live the Christian life that we cannot live by ourselves. And this morning, I want to close by drawing your attention to the words of Paul in Ephesians 5.18. He says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled, interesting, underline that word, with the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, Paul compares being drunk to being filled with the Spirit. When someone is drunk, what do we say? They're under the influence. Something else is controlling them. When a person is drunk, they don't act like themselves anymore. They think differently. They talk differently. They act differently. There's funny drunks out there. There's emotional drunks. They tell you how much they love you all the time. There's angry drunks. And here's about the thing about a drunk. A drunk will fight somebody they would never fight before. They'll talk to a girl in the bar that they will never talk to them before. Alcohol impacts them to live in ways that they could never live because they're under the influence of alcohol. In the same way, Paul uses this analogy to compare being filled with the Spirit and being under the influence of the Holy Spirit to what alcohol does in your life. That the Holy Spirit wants to influence your life in incredible ways. And he gives a command. He says this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek language, this is a continuous action. It should be translated better, be being filled. Be filled again and again and again. And here's the truth that I want you to understand. There's one Holy Spirit baptism, but many fillings. Over and over again. It's not a one-time event. It's not a moment where you get it and it's, oh, but you, can, like, and I'll show it to you. The believers in the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 4. But those same believers were filled again in Acts 4.31. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God boldly. So you know me, I'm always like uh, having some illustrations, some props. You're like, what are we going to talk about today? So I want to demonstrate to this. I want to give you a visual illustration to, to really drive the point of what this looks like. I saw a pastor do this in his illustration. So here, here's where we are. We're a vessel. We're this vessel that the Lord fills. And the moment that we come to faith in Jesus, guess what happened? We become a new creation, and we're filled with streams of living water. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we believe the word of truth. And it's ah, good. Need some water. And we're refreshing to everybody that's around us. You're a new creation. You think differently. You look differently. You act differently. It's amazing. Some of you guys knew, know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's what happens. Life happens. And life can be spelled K-I-D-S. Kids, they can get on your nerves, right? Life can be spelled J-O-B, a job. Life can be spelled I-35, right? And, and when life happens, all of a sudden, we begin to be impacted by life. See, we are filled, but I want you to see what happens. None of our circumstances have changed. None of the people that we're associated with changed. See, all the predispositions we have towards sin, all the things that are inside of us, they have not changed. We're still the same on the outside. All the tendencies, all the ways that we get mad and angry, they're still with us. So what happens in life, all of a sudden, here we come. 
Somebody's going to tick you off and get mad. And all of a sudden, you're going to get bitter. Oh, they can't believe I they said that. can't believe they did that. And all of a sudden, the enemy just wants to drop some bitterness in you. And then not only that, there are some people, they get really, really self-righteous when they come to Jesus. They think they're better than everybody else. And they're like vinegar. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, oh, oh they're nasty. They smell, and they, they just turn everybody away from them, and self-righteousness comes. And this is who we are. Oh, but we're Christians, right? But then all of a sudden, life's hitting. And then all of a sudden, we're driving I-35. Your husband says something, and boom. Fuck. Just get mad. Can't believe you said that. Can't believe you did that. And some of us really have anger problems. We just, oh! We get mad at everybody. And then what happens is we see everybody succeeding. Everybody's doing well. Everybody's getting the promotion, and we're not. So we get green with envy. You're like, oh, man, my life is horrible. Theirs is going so good. Man, we're jealous, and we're mad, and we're angry, and envy fills us. And this is who we are. Thank you, Jesus. We're filled with the Spirit. We're bold. And then all of a sudden, here comes the addictions, challenges. Yep, we're opening up a beer in church. I don't think that's ever happened. I'm, no, it's root beer. Just kidding. I know you guys are root beer. And this is the angry attitudes that we have, the struggles that we have. Man, this is the things that come our way. These are the secrets and the lies and the shame and the guilt. And here's our life. We were filled with God. We're honoring the Lord. But life just happens, doesn't it? And then there's the really ugly stuff. Coffee. The dark stuff. The pornography. The lies. The hatred. The betrayal that nobody knows about. And there we are. We're ready to tell the world about Jesus. We're his vessels. We're his Christians. What happens? We don't look anything like God wants us to look like. And this is where we're at. Here's what I want you to know. We're still Christians. We're still following Jesus, but we've just been filled one time. Man, and what happens is we're still sealed with the Holy Spirit, but we've allowed the junk and the things of life just to come over us. But we're supposed to be a witness to the world. Hey, you're going to want to drink of this. It'll bring refreshing. Who wants to drink this right now? And guess what happens? People will look at our lives and they'll say, look, our coworkers, our kids, our friends, and they'll say, there's no difference in you than me. Like, why would I even want to follow Jesus? But this is what Paul tells us. Yes, you're a Christian, but here's the key. You got to be, remember the word, immersed with the Holy Spirit. And how do you get there? Because uh, is it just me or have we all been here as Christians after we've been following Jesus? Maybe you're here right now. So how do you get the new start? It starts the same way. Man, when you first came here, you say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I need you to fill me again. And when you say, Jesus, fill me, guess what happens? He will start filling you again. 
And he'll start moving inside of you. And when we create space for him, he starts to move in our lives. And things begin to clear up a little bit. And then as we say, Jesus, this is how it happens. How do we get filled with the Spirit? See, we got to follow the words of Paul. It's not just a one-time thing. Be continually filled. It's when I pray. It's when I fast. It's when I make it to church. It's when I worship. It's when I begin to seek God. And all of a sudden, all that ugliness begins to go out of me, and he begins to clean me little by little by little by little as I'm just flowing inside of me. And then I say, God, I need you a little bit more. And what happens is this. I want you to understand, he fills us. And what happens, it's overflowing. And what's going on in your life isn't just you. It's splashing on others. And you're living a spirit-filled life. And God does some amazing things in your life because you're just abiding. You're staying under his presence because you cannot live like that. And every once in a while, he'll call you to something that you cannot do on your own. It's a calling that's bigger than yourself. And he'll immerse you with the Holy Spirit. And now we're ready to change the world. <sighs> Refreshed. No vinegar. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to fill you. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter how bitterness and anger and junk that's been in your life. Let me tell you, the power of the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to live like Jesus daily. You can't do it on your own. And there's so much confusion about this. There's so much sometimes weirdness about this. But it's simple. All we got to do is say, Jesus, fill me. Years ago, I had a friend of mine. His name was Jason. He was attending the church at the time. He came to my office, him and his wife, and he wanted to know how he could deepen his faith. Jason is one of the smartest guys I've ever met. He has a doctorate in biochemistry. He's a research professor at the University of Texas, and he was studying how to build immunity towards the coronavirus. And one day he says, Benito, I've been reading about this connection with God, this prayer language stuff, this baptism of the Holy Spirit thing. How can God work in my life? I want you to hear his story. Watch the screens. Back in May of this year, uh, my wife and I, Jamie, um, we scheduled a meeting with Pastor Benito to just talk about a few things. Uh, we'd been going to the church for a few months at that point. And, uh, we started talking about just various things and going on in our faith and our life. Uh, marriage and uh, one of the topics that was brought up was praying in the spirit it's something that um, we'd actually talked about with a friend earlier on that day and so Jamie had brought it up uh, and just asked Pastor Benito what he thought about it and uh, my own my own thoughts at the time were you know I was brought up in a church that that was not part of, of the service I've never really been around that and so I always thought it was kind of kooky and I didn't know what to think about it and so uh, my wife was asking questions about it and Pastor Benito turned to me and just asked my opinion on what I thought about it be something I would ever pray for in my faith and uh, again I just thought it was it was awkward I, I told him like if, if it was something that God willed certainly I would I'd pray for that um, but I'd never had previously and uh, he asked me if you know I wanted to pray for it right now be something I would pray for right now in that moment and I said sure you know I'm willing to pray for it right now and I'm not gonna pass up an opportunity to pray for faster and, uh, so we uh, all three of us got down on our knees in his office there and uh, Pastor Benito prayed for me, uh, just a short little simple prayer, uh, asking for God to give me the gift of praying in the Spirit. And um, he asked me then to pray, and I prayed, uh, poured my heart out to God about why, uh, what that would mean for me, and uh, how it would further my faith, and 
deep in my prayer life. And my own thoughts at that moment, though, it was really a situation where it was awkward for me, and I didn't really, the faith was, you know, smaller than a mustard seed for that kind of thing. And uh, I didn't really believe anything was going to happen. I, I thought maybe later on I could pray more about it, and, and uh, maybe then later it would happen. But I, again, it was just an awkward thing for me to pray for, and, and uh, I didn't think it was going to happen right there. And after I finished my prayer, uh, he started praying for me again. He just placed his, his hand on my chest. And, uh, and again, I'm thinking in my head, this is getting really awkward because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just start forcing this or anything. But the moment he did that, and the moment I'm thinking that, uh, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just welled up inside of me. And it's, it's un, un, kind of unexplainable, the feeling that I had. It was just from the tips of my toes, to my fingertips, to my tongue. I couldn't contain it. And out came basically a um, inaudible, for the most part, um, uh, prayer uh, in a language I'd never heard. It was just undertones of gibberish in a way. That's the best way I can explain it. And, uh, and I was shaking a little bit and the tears were coming down just from I couldn't contain the, the emotion. And it wasn't really sadness or anything else. It was just tears, overwhelming uh, emotion from the spirit just blowing up inside. And uh, I finished that short little, uh, about two minutes really, I was just praying in the spirit. I look up at Pastor Manito and I just look over him and I just say, you know, that was intense. It's the only thing I could think of saying. He just kind of uh, motioned towards my body, my shirt. He's like, you know, this is just a container. This is just a vessel uh, for the spirit that's inside of you. And, um, it was just a, an amazing moment in my faith. And I'll never forget it. And uh, I'm really, I just, I value it as just a, a way to pray God's will without my own selfishness getting in the way. It's something that's a very important part of my prayer life now. And I'll forever be thankful for that gift. Freedom Church, here's what I want you to know. You're a vessel. This Bible says. What are you carrying? What are you containing? Refreshed? Or are you dirty? I don't care who you are. All of us look like this unless we're daily filled with the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. The more you follow Him, the more you'll know you need the Holy Spirit. You need Him to live boldly. You need Him to connect with God deeply. You need Him to live righteously. Jesus said this. He's saying, if you have a Heavenly Father that loves you and you ask Him for fish, He's not going to give you stones. If you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you snakes. How much more your father in heaven, when you ask him for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you the Holy Spirit and treasure. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.